0: Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. so good to have each and every one of you. If you are new or maybe visiting online for the first time, my name is Greg McKinney. My wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church, and uh, it is a complete honor to have you guys here. Uh, We are starting with the new year. As Gabby said, uh, it is... It is a new year, and the strange thing about New Year's sometimes is um, do we try to do new things as a, as a person? New Year's resolutions, they didn't work last year. Are they going to this year? It's very interesting time, but one of my favorite things is what it provides. I mean, not much has changed from December to January. Not much has changed at all. But for some reason, New Year's Eve to New Year's Day just allows us some closure where we can tie a nice bow on everything that 2020 was, and we can just jump in to something new. And there is excitement in that, right? There is some energy in that. And I think it's because deep down, we know that this isn't it. We know that this isn't it, right? We know that how life happened in 2020 wasn't it how people treated each other in 2020, how things happened, how we handled situations, how we responded in 2020, how Americans responded, how things are going. That we know that it, we feel the ache that this isn't it. And so when new things come, we have this hope that maybe it will come too. You know what I mean? Like we, we just have this hope. And so I think even today, this morning, I don't know how your day has been, how you responded to yourself as you were getting ready in the mirror. I don't know how you responded to those in the room. I don't know what, what your experience was. But even today, this isn't it. This isn't how you will always see yourself. This isn't as it should be. This isn't it. And I think deep down, we know that this world whew, isn't right, all it could be, all it should be. And as I was sitting with our staff team, like, this is where I want to start this year off at. Uh, Glory family online who are traveling. We actually, if you want to pray, we have some who are, who are sick with COVID. We have some who got hurt this, this month. And so uh, there are a lot at home joining us online. But all of us, we need to just pause. I think there's some energy when we just say, okay, If this isn't how it should be, then Jesus, give us direction. Jesus, give us clarity. And so I wrote this down. You see, often we feel the ache of all that isn't. But what if we actually paused to seek out answers of what it could be? What it could be, what this Christian life is. So that's what this whole series, let's redefine what Christianity is, especially in this new year, this new day. How, if we know how one another treated each other last year, wasn't it? then let's sit in and say, what should the church be? Let's, what does kingdom life really look like? Instead of just hoping for better, let's actually look at what it could be, should be. And so for the next month, the month of January, that's where we're gonna land. Uh, and I hope that you stick with us. I would love that because Jesus' whole life, if you've read any of the gospels, Jesus' whole life, his actions, his interactions, his responses, they challenged how people thought life should be, every single one of them. They thought they knew it, and his life proclaimed, that isn't it. That's not how we treat one another. That's not how we treat the outcast. That's not how we worship. That's not what clean is. That's not what living good is. And he challenged it every single time. So as we dive into this, I think of the Peters. In scripture, oh, we've started with, you know, Simon Peter, and then we see the arrogance in so many Christ followers in the New Testament, this, uh, I want to do it my way and try to force it to happen. And Jesus would say to Peter in his own words, Peter, this isn't it. This isn't it. Feed my sheep, tend my flock to the Paul of Damascus, right? On his road, on the way to Damascus, Paul gets blinded and Jesus, this isn't it. Your religious life, your, your uppity life, your judgment-filled actions, it's not it. And so this morning, we're going to start this, and I am very excited because we're going to start with a story that just breaks me down so much. In John chapter 4, there's this beautiful story of Jesus interacting with a woman at a well. And I don't know if you know this, but this story, particularly, it's very early on in Jesus's ministry. He has maybe done a handful, literally just a handful of of miracles, of signs and wonders. And he's assembled some of his disciples, but he is escaping right now uh, the Roman guard, the Jewish leaders. And what better place than a town called, a city called Samaria? And so they are traveling, and at, the, at this place, in this town, he meets a woman at a well. If you know the story, you know where it's going. Maybe you've read it. Maybe you read it years ago, and this will be fresh. And I, I'm, I'm excited because what he speaks in this moment is how you see it to be, isn't it? What I'm bringing isn't what you think it is. How I am living the life of worship, the the life of, of you and Christ and you and worship and you and the Father, that it's not it, how you've been doing it. And so this interaction is beautiful. And if you know anything about Samaria, you know that it was straight up illegal in the Jewish mosaic, uh, mosaic law to be interacting as a Jewish man with a Samaritan woman. That was unclean. He would be defiled. If you remember in American history, at one point in our history, it was illegal for a white man to be speaking alone with a, an African-American woman. That is what's going on here. A Jewish man is talking at a well with a Samaritan woman. It's a big deal but this story is so beautiful. So instead of reading it, I actually want us to visualize it. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about the, the TV show, The Chosen, but I wanted to take time in this for you to visualize it because there is some emotion that we miss when the text. So here's the clip.
1: Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me?
2: That bad, huh? What? You, a Jew. Ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman.
1: I'm sorry. I should have said please.
2: You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here.
1: Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the the cool of the morning?
2: Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me.
1: Why won't they be seen with you?
2: Long story.
1: I'd I'd still like a drink of water if, if you can spare it.
2: Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ.
0: (laughs) Hey, wait! You're what, You forgot your, um... You told me everything I ever did! That was... Goodness, a powerful display. Now, if you could tell, if you know this story really well, all we know is that she said this man told everything that I've ever done. And obviously this, uh, this you, got, you could see a little bit more words added in. We don't know the interaction, but I can bet it happened very similar. Here's a woman who has done so many things in her community, has looked down on her before it. She's not allowed to get draw water with the other women, so she has to go in the heat of the day. Here she is, and Jesus meets with her, and he changes everything. This isn't it. There's a time, he says, when the Father, the time is here and now, when the Father will will call up true worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. They will worship with spirit and truth. You You see this displayed one time in John 4, but over and over in this. The woman, it was that that caught her attention. And the reason is very huge. We don't worship as often in spirit as truth as we should be, uh, as we could. And I wonder, honestly, how many of my mishaps, my failures, your struggles, your issues, are because we haven't realized more and more and more just how true we should be worshiping. And every single day, at every single time, in spirit and in truth. I think this would be life-changing. And I, I think it would be life-changing so much so that I want these words, Glory Family, to be, uh, maybe you're a New Year's Eve type person who you come up with one word, one word from the year that defines your year. As a church, I want these two. Because there is some excitement, energy, life change. You saw the difference between the woman at the beginning and the woman at the end. We can see it in scripture, but you were able to visualize it with emotion on the chosen. That she is one way at the beginning, but spirit and truth changed everything. Now, we don't worship in temples, and that's it. We don't worship with structure and systems, and and it's void of the heart. But Christ is spirit, and we know where the spirit of God is. There is freedom, spirit, and truth. Jesus wanted to change this woman's perspective, and it was written in scripture because it extends beyond the woman to us. Jesus is wanting to change our perspective. Our go-to response is to not worship something in spirit and truth. Our go-to response, we've been ingrained from birth to respond very differently to things that we like. We respond very differently than the natural way that God designed in spirit and in truth. So if you will do me uh, the honor, I want to dive into this. I see the disconnect with me because I live too many moments in the day not that joyful. Right? I live too many moments in the day without that kind of freedom. Uh, the experience of it, the excitement of it, the, the desire to tell everyone that the Messiah, the Christ, has met me. I mean, I have my moments, of course, where we do, but if we're honest, we're disconnected with that kind of excitement about Christ and his church. And so as we get into this, like her, I wrote this down, we are quick to placing physical standards and limits onto a spiritual God. Like her, we are so quick to making physical standards or boxes around our spiritual God. And so worship for their time was designated to the temple or for Sumerians. It was on the mountain. And If you know anything about the Mosaic law, you had to be clean in order to come to worship, which then therefore exiled her from even the possibility. That's why she is saying, if God did something good, I couldn't thank him for it. Because my law, my religion says that he's only up there, but I'm not there. And at times we are so quick to putting physical standards and limits onto our spiritual God, and it it damages our worship. And I'm not just saying like our singing worship, but I'm saying our, our, what Paul says very bluntly to the Romans, that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, that that is true worship, our life. And you see, when I like to... Um, when we struggle to make physical standards onto God and put him in these boxes of what we can comprehend, it damages our life of sacrifice. It damages our ability to say yes. And I think very practically, I wonder how many times she was met by God, right? He himself said, Jesus said, no, God has done good for you. But I wonder how many times her response could have been surrender, but there were these physical limitations in her mind that prohibited her from even seeing it, from worshiping God. And I think we do the same. We, much like Samaritans, we segment our life. We create segmented spaces, is what I would like to say, segmented spaces. That we we like to, to segment our life in various ways for the Jews and the Samaritans. Their worship was over here. Clean living was, uh, it prohibited someone from entering here. There was a, a lifestyle, a part of it and, it, and sometimes, if you know even the Pharisees, it was very disconnected from their heart. They had segmented spaces, and we do the same. I actually did something very similar to this years ago for a group of students that I love and adore, and it stuck with them for years. In fact, uh, I think two of them are here in the, in the room that, that saw this when they were like seventh graders, but it stuck with them for years, and so my hope, Glory family, is by you seeing this, you're like, why do you have hula hoops, Pastor Greg? This is weird. My hope is that as you see this, you see very visibly how segmented our life becomes. And so we, and rightly so, because you like me, we like balance, we have a work hula hoop. And inside that hula hoop is every relationship at work, uh, every inner encounter, all of my thoughts. And for the sake of my wife, I like to keep that separate from my, you know, as much as possible from my spouse hula hoop. You know, this is like date nights and my wife like says, don't talk about work at date. And I struggle, but we do, we segment this and then this could be our home life. And we are one way at home. And, and we, we try to, to make sure that all of this stays out of here, but also we get to the point where we have a church life, and we do. Inside this is our Sunday mornings at times, and we have a mode or a smile or a life or a loudness that we engage in and here, that might be different from other places. This may be included in this hula hoop is your small group. Over here, we got our alone time, right? I mean, if you're like me, that one might have a lot of cobwebs on it. But you know how you act when you get there, and you just, you, if you could step in here at any moment, you would, right? But we segment our life, and let we can call this, you know, time with your friends. And we have all of these differences, and there's not bad, but the reality is what ends up happening is how we act in here. We forget the joy, the truth, the experience, the freedom that we expressed and experienced here. And the reason is because we've created these hula hoops. Now, what I need you to see and understand is segmented spaces will always hurt our worship because the spirit of God is in all of these, and we are to worship in spirit and in truth. And what ends up happening in me is I don't like different versions of myself. You ever feel that way? I had a conversation with with my wife when when the kids were really young, and we were like, we don't like the way we engage with our kids. I don't like myself. And what ends up happening is we begin to box up, and I need you to hear this. Glory family, this this is it. We begin to box up and put limits on what we believe God will do In these separate spaces there's little joy here I might have joy over here and that's why a lot of people when struggles are happening adultery is huge because there might be freedom here but we don't allow and experience God's freedom here or we are struggling so much in our alone time and we cross boundaries in this because there's limited joy the feeling of completion here. We serve a God that we worship in spirit, meaning in all of these things. And I I showed, I did this to uh, the youth. I picked up the church one because what we forget as Christ followers is when we engage in time at our workplace, we bring the church with us because we are. When we engage with time alone, we bring the church with us because we are the church. When we engage in time with our family and with our friends, with our spouse, and what happens when we do that, we acknowledge and own the fact that the grace that was there is the grace that's here. The freedom that was felt there is the freedom that can be experienced here. The the peace, the joy, the truth, the power, and that is what Jesus offered this woman, the beautiful reality that he will be and can be and should be and could be in everything. And it would change her. It would change her. We have these segmented spaces, and I wrote that I struggle to like versions of myself, but the opposite is found. We have this joy when we own the fact that in spirit I worship, that means here, that means there, that means over there, and the thing that God brings is possible in all of them. That peace, that joy, that love, that freedom, that transformation, and this is the beautiful thing. There should not be less grace in one of the hula hoops than the other. There should not be less peace in one of the hula hoops than the other. I, I, I never want to be so arrogant to believe that the huge change that was on that woman's face does not need to be on my face every single day. This reality change for her. She's speaking to a man that she thought this church worship temple mountain was far outside of her reach. And so she's engaging in all of this and didn't realize that the spirit of God was with her. And so he is intimately telling her the details of her life in every hula hoop. She feels known and seen, and it clicks. I, want, I never want to be so arrogant to believe that that, sh- that huge change shouldn't happen for me for even now. Like I place physical standards on what God can do inside of a hula hoop. What I believe is possible in a, in a hula hoop, in that individual context, but God is spirit. And where the spirit of God is, there is freedom. There's a time when Paul, uh, when Jesus said, like you heard, there's going to be a time when the Father calls the true worshipers. And they will be in spirit and in truth. So what would it be like if you actively sat down and on a piece of paper? Some of you are more visualizing people circled, drew circles, and started labeling your hula hoops and started asking very clearly, God, do I segment your people, your church outside of it all? Or how can I bring them intimately in Because this year, I want to worship in spirit, God. I want to see you in all things. And that transforms this woman. If you saw anything, Scripture continues in verse 39. And it says, many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. That she said, he told me everything that I'd ever done. And Scripture continues that they they begged him to stay with them. So he stayed for two days. And it said, many more believed because of his work. I just have a question. In your hula hoops, in your times, how many people in this city, in your city, maybe if you live outside of, of Kansas City metro area and you're, you're more in the Grandview, okay, or Lee Summit, how many people in your city could say, I met Jesus because of your testimony? I think the issue is that we struggle with the worship in spirit because then my coworkers, your coworkers should feel the grace that you have felt there and there. They should see the peace. They should feel the hunger to know God. And there's beautiful things that happen when we have that. But if you remember, there's two words at the very beginning, right? It's not just spirit, but it's spirit and truth that made this woman connect. Spirit and truth. And the beautiful thing as we get into this is the word truth it might be a little different than you think. It's not just the truth that we believe, but the actual Greek, if you want to put it up, the Greek word is eletheia, eletheia. The Greek word is, is very beautiful because where we think of truth maybe in a one-degree way, this has two alternate definitions. It has an and in the middle of the Greek definition, and it's really beautiful. Because truth, the first one, is this. It is the active ability to take into account the facts that really happened. The things that correspond with reality. Can you put that definition up for us? The act that really happened. It takes into account the facts that really happened. All the things that correspond with reality. Now, if you're hearing me, we struggle to live in truth. If you're like me, I get stuck on all the things that aren't happening in reality because that's what I get overwhelmed with. Anyone have sleepless nights and you start overthinking about what hasn't even happened yet? We struggle in those moments to worship in truth because worshiping in truth, you you take into account all that has happened. You respond and act with things that are real. Now, what this also should do is change how you respond to the world because there's some people... I've laughed about it. Have you ever watched like reality TV shows? And I just can't, they give me too much anxiety because the people are arguing with each other about things that aren't real. And they just like, they're trying to get to a situation. Someone was hurt and we, I, I can't, like it's just, it gets me, my heart pumping. I just want to like be the mediator because it's so bad. But they, they're talking about the hurt feelings. They say one thing, and then that, that ignites a flame in the other person to cut them off, and then we're getting nowhere. Because we, as the world, we were grained by birth to respond, not to reality, but how we perceive it in the moment. But to worship in truth is to say, Jesus, I'm going to only respond into things that are, are corresponding with reality. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe truth and live in that way. But the beautiful thing is that it continues. There's a second part. It says not just causing to take into account the facts that really happen, but it's also the, the literal definition says, and all that corresponds with an eternal reality that isn't limited by historical fact, now I say this because this is beautiful. In other words, what that woman was able to experience that day at that well was a truth that changed her. Jesus responded first and spoke truth. I know what you've done. Here's the acts of what you've done. These are these are actions that respond with real, real history. These are facts but he takes a step further and does so in a way that shows that he knows this, this eternal reality that is not limited. Because if it was limited by the historical fact of her past, he would not speak to her. But the eternal reality is I am the Messiah and I've come to change you. I'm the Messiah And what I'm bringing is transformative. Does this make sense? He's not just approaching with one version of truth, but it's the whole, that that the reality that God came and died, that what he is doing, who he is, is nullifying. It's overcoming historical fact. So this is what I mean. As you engage with your wife, your spouse, your friends, the non-believing friends, there's one part that, yes, you should take a note and respond to them with how reality is. But what we do at work, at home, is we also live with the truth that there is an eternal reality that isn't limited by what they've done, that isn't hurt by what has happened, by the past behind them. And I will tell you that is freeing. Can I tell you personally, the eternal reality of truth is that God's purpose, and plan is not hurt by your historical past. That's the beautiful thing about what God is doing. That's what he brought this woman. The truth is nothing you could do. I'm rejected by others, she said, but the eternal reality is that you're not rejected by the Messiah, and it changes, nullifies everything, and it is a beautiful thing that this year I wrote this down to worship in truth means to stop allowing historical facts and pasts to limit your belief, your perspective in God's eternal work. In other words, what he did then does not mean that he can't do it now. And sometimes, I believe this, your, your adult parents are just never going to have faith, right? They're never going to change. Do not. The eternal truth is that God's work transforms our past. So you are going to worship in truth when you're with your family. There's co-workers, and maybe you personally have messed up. Maybe 2020 has some failures in your past. God's work is not limited or hurt by historical fact. Instead, he changes. So as someone who worships in spirit, I bring him into everything. And as someone who worships in truth... I respond and act and live according to not just what has happened, but the fact that my God is changing all that is, and it supersedes everything from the past. This is what, the, what Jesus handed that woman to worship in a way that transforms everything. Now I'll tell you how you've responded to this church. What if you were honest with yourself and said, this isn't it? how I treated God's people last year, how I treated him in in the reality of what he could do in my home, it isn't it. God, I want to worship in spirit and truth there. So as we end this morning, the message, will you pray with me? God, you met a woman at a well and you radically changed her life because she realized for the first time that you could be in all and through all and you care deeply for all that she was. God, I pray that we can be people, a church, individuals who worship in spirit and in truth. That we do not have segmented spaces that, that, that disintegrate ourselves or, or, or get us sidetracked or hurt our worship. Where we start doubting what your grace can do in various places. But God, instead, can we see that you are in all, tied through all? And God, may we respond in truth. According to the fact that your eternal reality is not limited by anything this world can do. So Jesus, I pray that we would have that kind of energy. That kind of excitement, that kind of determination, that kind of motivation, that we would go into our city and speak. I've met the Messiah, a man who's known all of my segmented spaces, all of my hula hoops. And he wants me. He's changed me. Lead us. God, into a place of true worship. In your name and for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.